Representative David Rowe has been in office just a few months. After spending years teaching English in Thailand, David came home and started a small fitness business in Union County. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am downtown Harrisburg uh, with uh, Representative David Rowe. David, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me, Matt. Well, David, you are from uh, Union and Snyder Counties. At least that's where your uh, uh, legislative district is, the, the 85th district. And uh, you uh, came in as a result of uh, your predecessor going off to Congress and had to uh, win a special election and then are going to jump right back into campaigning once again. But before we get into that, let's talk about uh, how you grew up and your political philosophy and uh, what you're passionate about uh, here in Harrisburg and, and hope to get done as a state legislator. Um, is uh, uh, the, the central part of Pennsylvania home for you? Is that it, where you grew up? It is. So I definitely had a, a, an unconventional uh, childhood growing up. Uh, my family, my father worked for the Bureau of Prisons. So they moved him all around. You know, they relocate every six months to a year. And my mother didn't want to be putting her kids in and out of the public school system, new friends, new schools every six months. So she just homeschooled us. Mm -hmm. um, when we settled in central Pennsylvania, I grew up in a little tiny village called Vicksburg, uh, closer to Mifflinburg for those people who know central PA. And because my mom had been homeschooling my siblings for so long, she was in her habit and so she stuck with it. So I was growing up and uh, I was very grateful for her putting her career and her job on hold to spend a couple more years educating me. Um, so how, how many siblings do you have? So I've got four, but okay. there's a, a big gap. My, I've got a sister that's three years older than me, and then I've got a brother that's 11 years older mm -hmm. than me, and then another older sister still. So there was definitely a little gap there uh, for, but my sister and I uh, being uh, in a class of our own as homeschoolers, you know, both class clown and valedictorian each. Um, <laughs> but the uh, finished up high school, and I went on a senior missions trip. Um, as much as a homeschooler can, you know, we didn't really have a, yeah. a homeschool group, but I more so went with a group of uh, some church friends, things like that. We went to southern Taiwan. Uh, and while I was over there for three weeks teaching character camps in southern Taiwan and Hong Kong, I got offered a job. And they wanted me to come over work uh, for a character English camp. They wanted me to work in some Aboriginal villages for uh, underserved po uh, populations, tribes there. And so I came back to the States and uh, got some teacher certificates, got my, uh, my visa, uh, and went back over. And my thought was I didn't want to jump into a four-year college program when I didn't really have a vision for my life. Mm -hmm. I thought no reason to take on a lot of debt when I don't even know what I want to do yet. Mm -hmm. So I thought this would be a good gap year, uh, and it turned into a gap couple of years <laughs> uh, as I got uh, to work with some of these, these Aboriginal tribes where they, for the most part, can't afford uh, English teachers. Uh, and in, in Taiwanese and most South Asian culture, if Southeast Asian culture, if you aren't fluent in English, you have a very difficult time breaking into any sort of uh, higher level field. Uh, so you have, tend to have a very wide uh, income gap between mm. these sort of 
disenfranchised tribal populations and then the people that live in the cities. So I got to work a lot with these populations where they, these kids were desperate for opportunity. They were happy that someone was there to teach them. They wanted to learn. Uh, and it was, it was a wonderful opportunity for me as a teenager, you know, fresh out of high school, being dropped in a city of 50,000 people, and I'm the only guy that speaks English. So you're coming of, from central right, Pennsylvania. Coming from central PA. <laughs> Probably a bit of a culture shock. Uh, Absolutely, for you, yeah. yeah. Yep, and you did, I mean, it was the kind of thing where I, I'm hungry. I guess I'm going to figure out how to order food in Chinese or I die. Uh, so it was a really good learning experience Good for incentives, me. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely gave me a, a new respect and appreciation for what we have here. And ha how long were you uh, there in Taiwan? So I ended up staying yeah. for two and a half years. I worked in Taiwan most of the time. Um, I spent some time in Hong Kong. I worked for briefly for the Department of Social Welfare and Development in Manila, uh, putting on some character camps there for the kids. Uh, worked in northern Thailand for a little bit with some of the, the tribes up there. Uh, a really good opportunity for me as a young person to just learn a lot more about other cultures, a chance to see the comparison of what we have here. Uh, a lot of the effects of uh, communism have still sort of had lasting impacts on some of these cultures, especially northern Thailand, mm. where they're sort of uh, it's a very it's a fascinating culture up there. In northern Thailand, they actually all speak Chinese because the nationalist uh, population that fled China during the communist rebellion mostly fled to northern Thailand and Taiwan. So you've got the nationalist populations in Taiwan, but you also have the nationalist Chinese in northern Thailand uh, who were there and initially were granted asylum by the Thai government uh, in uh, return for defending the northern border against the communists. So you've got these fascinating hmm. cultural blends uh, over there, and it was just a fascinating learning experience for me. And uh, so uh, what made you decide, I'm coming back, uh, or you're not going to stay over there? Were, were there some things that uh, took place? Yeah, I had just recently enrolled in the National Sun Yat-sen University in a Mandarin Immersion Program, uh, and was uh, had a couple had, had a job opportunity lined up as a translator. Uh, I had some family stuff come up, unfortunately, that I had to come home and tend to. That ended up taking a little longer to attend to than I thought, and I ended up having to stay here. So while I was here, my brother and I uh, worked on a small business together. We started a fitness entity, uh, sort of expanded it to uh, we, it, our brick-and-mortar CrossFit affiliate, but we also do corporate wellness consulting, wellness initiatives for uh, the local universities and school districts. We do group training and you know, birthday parties and whatever the local mm -hmm. need happens to be, but definitely has a, a wellness emphasis. Uh, and that business sort of went from being just a, a hobby to a full-time job uh, with now we've got six staff. At one point, we had three different locations, um, but uh, then we sold off to one staff uh, member, and we ended up consolidating the two. We learned very quickly in the small business world, more isn't better, <laughs> more is just more. And after uh, a couple of years of 16-hour days, we were ready to just sort of consolidate a little bit. So you got the entrepreneur bug, that, yes. uh, and it sucked you in <laughs> and, and uh, kept you from going back. Uh, now, was there a time in your life that you uh, kind of started paying attention to things politically? Uh, I mean, that you got sort of a political bug that would end up leading you to say, I'm going to run uh, for state office because uh, uh, where, where, where was that? Was your family politically involved at all? My, fa my parents definitely did a very good job of instilling a sense of uh, respect, but also importance of uh, awareness, the importance of having an awareness of all things political. I remember being nine years old and making phone calls for George Bush in 2000, uh, sitting in the uh, victory centers with my mom, making phone calls, knocking on doors. Uh, and so I've just always been involved with usually some sort of uh, campaign or issue, one, one or another. Uh, I will be honest, I didn't necessarily see myself coming into this position mm -hmm. uh, so soon. I thought, yeah, you know what, down the road, maybe it'll be something I could run for. It's definitely something I have a passion for. 
But uh, the domino effect that started when Congressman Marino retired that set up Fred Keller's move to Congress that set up an open seat for my district was all very unexpected uh, and definitely had to be something that I could never have orchestrated. Yeah, so so uh, you, you talk about that domino effect. I mean, had you been involved in, in uh, Republican politics uh, um, before you decided to throw your hat in the ring? Because uh, it, it's a pretty safe Republican, if you will, right? Uh, and I, I think there were quite a few people who said, I want that uh, job that you had to go through a, a special election uh, process. Uh, but how did you end up uh, going from just being a, a small business owner to uh, eventually becoming the nominee for uh, that district? Mm -hmm. I was definitely involved. I was uh, on my county committee for a number of years. I, I still am a, technically a member of the Union County Republican Committee. I was a township supervisor for the township I lived in. Uh, I came to that position. There was a number of issues that happened on the township level, some uh, fairly gross abuses of power mm. uh, that led to a almost complete turnover of the board over a couple of election cycles. Thankfully, uh, we started to restore some sense of fiscal sanity. The township uh, just this past year instituted a 10% tax cut um, thanks to uh, some uh, fiscal sanity that was restored over the past yeah. couple of years. So I was really glad to see them finally follow through on uh, what we had been working on for so long. Um, so definitely being involved on on the political side of things. Uh, you're, you're right, a lot of people wanted to definitely throw their hat in. A lot of politics we all know is personal. Yeah. And so back when uh, Congressman Marino had announced his retirement, um, I knew that uh, con uh, now Congressman Keller would be interested. I knew that he was the gold standard for representation in our area, uh, and I knew that he had a really solid chance. So it was probably back January, February that I started meeting with some folks around the area, different stakeholders, other elected officials, to try to test the waters, and the feedback was almost universally positive. I, my involvement with the community, being a director of the fire board, a commissioner on the uh, for the Buffalo Valley Regional Police Commission. I served on the Capital Campaign Council for the local hospital, uh, being a township supervisor, a member of the county committee, a small business owner, uh, all these sorts Checking of things. Checking all the boxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And unintentionally so. Yeah, I just yeah. enjoyed being involved yeah. with my community. Uh -huh. um, and, and so the, the feedback was almost universally positive. Mm -hmm. uh, so when it came down to the conference, there ended up being only two people entered into uh, nomination I came out and the you other got side. it. Uh, <laughs> but now you're going to have to go through the regular process. Yes. Uh, and as we're talking, it's petition mm -hmm. gathering time. And then uh, eventually you'll have uh, maybe a primary, maybe not. Uh, and then f uh, face off in November. Um, so you've really only been in Harrisburg uh, for a few months, mm -hmm. uh, if you will, and just experienced uh, uh, your first budget address uh, from the governor and are going to be going in, through that process. Um, what are some of the things that, that you're really passionate about, David, that uh, you hope that as you uh, um, serve your community, uh, that you want to focus on getting done, the, the policy issues that matter most to you? Mm -hmm. That is a, it's a long list. I'll try to <laughs> narrow it down. You know, coming from the business world and seeing a lot of the issues that the small businesses are up against, obviously that's something that I would love to tackle. There are a, a number of great bills out there. The NFIB is promoting the Small Business Tax Fairness Package, which basically just levels the playing field. A great package of bills right there. I've been uh, spending a lot of time with Representative Mike Jones. He's working on what we've called the, from economic, York County. From yep. York County, mm -hmm. right? the Economic Growth Caucus that really just realizes that a lot of these issues that we're facing couldn't be resolved by doing less government intervention and not more. 
whenever the government steps in and tries to do what it thinks will make a situation better, it usually just ties the hands of everyone else. And we're trying to sort of find a return, a return to that entrepreneurial spirit that really created the, the robust American economy. Um, so the Economic Growth Caucus have been working on a couple of things. They're trying to find some wiggle room. We've met with some of the governor's uh, cabinet secretaries, members of the, uh, of the Department of Revenue, talked about, you know, where can we find common ground? Mm-hmm. Um, the governor did uh, agree to the corporate net income tax reduction, uh, but he had paired it with some things that are maybe not also quite so palatable. So yeah. whether or not he actually <laughs> wants to get it done, I'm not sure. If he just wants to put it out there as a uh, as a piece of bait, I'm not sure. Do you think that uh, your colleagues uh, in general understand um, the challenges that small businesses face? I mean, are there enough folks up there that – I like to say, have signed the front of paychecks, not just the back of paychecks, in order to say, all right, we got to tackle these issues because we know that small businesses are the backbone of of any economy. We tend to, you know, focus uh, at the higher levels of like, hey, how are we going to get an Amazon to come in or some big retailer, Cabela's, you know, and, and try to throw money at them. Um, but it's the small business people that are the ones that uh, really provide uh, the jobs uh, the, the, and ultimately the tax revenue that, that makes government go. Uh, do you find that there's, a, 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 well, good enough knowledge up there to, to tackle these things? Or, or are you having to kind of be an educator once again, uh, right, amongst your colleagues of like, these are, these are real challenges that hurt uh, people from starting businesses and then really growing them? Well, one of the things that uh, Representative Jones told me about the Economic Growth Caucus is that the requirement to be in it is that you've either been a member of senior level management in a, in a large C-Corp or that you've signed both sides of a check. So exactly yeah. what you said, you know what it's like to be employed and you know what it's like to have employees. And I, I do think that's something that not a lot of people are are, are can necessarily relate to, mm-hmm. especially as it comes down to the conversation about the minimum wage. It seems mm-hmm. to be consuming the majority of the narrative uh, lately, especially as the governor continues to push it. And statistically, it's made out to sound like it's going to lift a great many people out of poverty, when even just today, I had a, a team of cross-country athletes from my district up in the area, we were talking about jobs, and even they were the ones that were able to say, well, I might make a little more than minimum wage now. Some of them did make a lot of minimum wage, but they realized that it wasn't about a, a living wage for them. That wasn't the yeah. point. It was the a starting op- wage. It was a yeah. starting yeah. wage. It was the opportunity for them to develop those sort of soft skills um, that are essential to being a quality employee down the road. So I've I've had employees. Some of them, most of them, are fantastic. I've had some that didn't work out so well because they didn't understand what being an employee meant. They didn't understand that when you start at eight, it means you're there a little before eight. <laughs> you know, if you take the day off, it means you tell someone before you actually just don't show up. Not showing up is not taking the day off, it's not showing up. And those are the sort of skills that somebody who's never had a job might not understand. So these young people, it's I think it's less than 2% of the state that's on minimum, that works for minimum wage, uh, these young people are developing these skills. You know, my yeah. first job was working at a, an agritourism uh, farm. You know, it was a working farm, but they also did corn mazes and pumpkin patches, hay rides. And that was my first real job growing up. And I made minimum wage, but I learned very quickly what was expected of me. 
my boss there was a great boss, very, very strict, and that's what I needed. Yeah. As a young as a young man growing up, learning what it meant to be on time, learning what it meant to be a to have customer service skills, those were things I needed to learn. And I just talked to him at a crops conference two weeks ago, and he told me if the minimum wage goes through, I fire two thirds of my teenagers. Yeah. And you know, ten people are gonna lose their job if the minimum wage goes up. And not only are we gonna lose out on their jobs, but we're gonna learn lose out on that impact 10 years from now when we have a generation that doesn't understand how to work. Well, and, and that's where I think uh, it's it's unfortunate that a lot of the narrative of those that are, are pushing uh, to just arbitrarily increase this, I you know, Governor Wolf is talking about $15, which, uh, you know, is, is very expensive for an entry-level training position, right? I mean, I, I can remember, say, this is how old I am. My minimum wage was $3 and a quarter. Uh, but when I demonstrated uh, that I was reliable, showing up on time, all of that, very quickly, my uh, hourly went up at the pizza shop that I worked at because they wanted to retain me. And I suspect it's the same even in your business, that, yeah, somebody at, will start at a certain wage, uh, but when they demonstrate that they're uh, productive, that they're adding value, uh, you end up paying them a lot more because it's a heck of a lot more expensive to uh, replace a good employee uh, than to just keep people at, at lower wages. And we, I mean, obviously everybody wants to make more money and everybody wants everybody else to make more money. That's not a bad thing. But I think if we just look at what has happened over the past couple of months, the past couple of years, we've been shown, you know, the right way to do it and the wrong way to do mm-hmm. it. You know, when I drive down here, I will drive past gas stations and supermarkets and I will see help wanted signs out there for 10, 12. There's a $13 an hour starting yeah. wage position in one of my, at one of my uh, local gas stations. And we look at what the Trump economy has become. We look how hard, at how hard it has been to recruit enough people. Unemployment is so low. That's how you drive wages up. You drive wages up by creating an economic uh, climate that is so competitive that you have to pay more to get the people that you need. And that's how you have a sustainable uh, economic growth pattern. Once you mandate it top down, you're not going to create more jobs. You're going to kill more jobs. And the people who are going to get hurt are going to be the mom and pop shops. They're going to be the teenagers. They're going to be the people that are trying to develop those soft skills. So I think we definitely have a tale of two methodologies here where you yeah. see it, what's happening on the national scene and then what's happening on the state scene as we lag behind uh, more and more thanks to these sort of policies that we heard all about in the budget address. Well, and that's where uh, I think, you know, we see the market setting wages uh, and they are blowing way past uh, the the current minimum wage. Um, But because we've got a good economy doesn't mean we ought to uh, elevate that artificial uh, floor because things can turn around. uh, And you would really put our small businesses uh, in a world of hurt if you elevate a, a wage level that is unsustainable or, and even, you know, even in a good economy, uh, it, can, it can be very difficult for small businesses. Um, I know that the, the House has really been the ones uh, pushing back against that. The Senate had passed a minimum wage increase and the governor, of course, pushing that again. Uh, what are, what's your kind of uh, thoughts? Is this uh, uh, because the governor's pretty good about beating uh, people over the head with this, right? I mean, they'll roll out the, 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 the sob story. Um, ignoring the vast economic evidence as well as uh, the reality of who is actually earning this. Um, is that going to be something that the, the House Republicans in particular are going to be able to withstand? Well, I, you know, it's, it's important to point out that I think Pennsylvania, 
is obviously a very broad and diverse state, right? I mean, we have you know massive cities and super rural areas. You know, we have municipalities with a couple of dozen residents, and then we have Philadelphia. So there's a huge uh, difference there in comparison. The cost of living is different. The scales are different, and so when we talk about you know the the living wage, which is what the governor loves to yeah. go on about. The living wage for somebody living in downtown Philly is very different than the living <laughs> wage of somebody living in the rural parts of my district. And so, fifteen dollars for you know he talks about gas station attendance in Philadelphia. Maybe that is their version of a living wage, yeah. but to to but to put that wage on the the mom and pop that are employing you know two teenagers at the at the super at the not supermarket at the little corner market in in rural Pennsylvania that will just they'll have to fire the kids they'll have to work extra hours or maybe they'll just close and that's the reality so i think that's something that when it comes to the house a lot of our rural members really understand that and that's why the the resistance is always there because those of us who represent these districts that will be most adversely affected by this hike are going to push back strongly against it i i think the governor will probably as you said continue to, to beat people mm-hmm. over it my my I, i've been told that the alternate proposal where he tried to sort of offer that back and forth of you know the mandatory overtime minimum increase instead of I, I don't buy that because my opinion is if the governor wants to do something terrible that will cost jobs and hurt Pennsylvanians, let him do it yeah. and let own him it. own yeah, it. Exactly right. right. Why should we step out to do something slightly less bad to keep him from doing something worse? And then, then, then we're hanging around our necks. If he wants to hurt Pennsylvanians, he wants to cost jobs, let him do it and let him own it. Well, while you're working on those things, I know that uh, you've developed some good relationships as well as revived some uh, from years gone by. Uh, and uh, you and fellow, uh, I, I guess you're even roommates uh, mm-hmm. on the floor of the house, Andrew Lewis, who has been on Brews and Views as well. Um, uh, you guys have a, a, an interesting history. Uh, let, let's talk about that. But over the holidays, you guys late night uh, decided to engage in some shenanigans, maybe as you call it, uh, um, th- that you grabbed a couple pianos, uh, rolled them into the main Capitol building. This was late at night and uh, did uh, Oh Holy Night, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, played that. And it caught fire on with your YouTube, uh, I think over 800,000 views. Uh, and it was really neat uh, to see you guys um, doing that and just the different side of, uh, of the politicians, right? Uh, uh, but talk about your, I guess, your relationship, yeah. first of all, with Andrew, that uh, lo and behold, you guys knew each other as kids mm-hmm. and are now serving in the legislature. And talk about uh, how this yeah. came about that you guys would uh, go find pianos and play in the Capitol. So the homeschool social circles are all very small. And anybody who's homeschooled will be able to tell you that. that yes. A lot of homeschoolers know a lot of other homeschoolers, um, despite being accused of being antisocial. Yeah, we tend yeah. to actually have quite a few friends. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my son has a shirt from when he grew up. It said, unsocialized homeschooler <laughs> warning. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you about it. I've had to be careful now because I... My mom always told me, if you can laugh at yourself, you'll never mm-hmm. cease to be amused. So I, self-deprecating humor is kind of my thing. So I'll, you know, tell people, well, the reason I'm so unsociable is because I'm a homeschooler. <laughs> and then I realized that I should probably be careful because people might think I'm serious. Yeah, and I'm right, like, no, right, I'm, I'm yeah, joking because yeah, that yeah. is the joke. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> Andrew and I knew each other as, as homeschoolers. We were part of different homeschooling groups, but there were a couple of occasions that our homeschooling groups crossed paths. And, you know, one particular time that we were having a water balloon fight slash Nerf gun battle at a bonfire, it was 
awesome. Um, but so that was uh, the, how I met Andrew. And then we sort of lost touch over the years. And then I saw, you know, he ran for office. Uh, and so when I was interested in running myself, I reached out to him and I just sort of expressed an interest, bounced some ideas off him. He connected me with some great people down here in Harrisburg that I, I, I talked to. Um, and so when we, uh, when I got to the house and was sworn in, ended up, I was sitting right next to him. Uh, and the speaker, <laughs> when he sat us there, had no idea that we knew each other. And when I told him, I was like, Hey, thanks for putting me next to Andrew. He yeah. just kind of looked at me. He's like, you're welcome. <laughs> and he didn't know why I, by, why I was thankful. Um, but Andrew and I were talking one day during a, uh, a time of lengthy pontification by some of the members of the house. And we thought we'd do something fun for Christmas. Yeah. So right after the governor's Christmas party, we left a little early, came back to what we thought would be an empty capital, ran into a couple of people there who looked at us quizzically as we rolled some pianos around, but nobody really seemed to care that much. Of course, much. being nerdy homeschoolers, you guys could all play piano. Right, right? exactly yeah. right, right? Because we were too busy <laughs> playing piano to make friends. Um, <laughs> so um, we rolled the pianos in, and we weren't sure how it would go. We didn't ask any permission. We didn't test the pianos out. Yeah. Uh, they were a little out of tune, but thankfully the <laughs> echoing kind of helped. One of Andrew's friends came with his, uh, just with his iPhone, surprisingly enough. We filmed it. We thought, hey, it'll be fun. And you know, within an hour or two of us posting it, we had ABC News was calling us, asking if we would use it. Um, a couple of uh, radio stations called me. My local newspaper asked for a quote on the story. Um, so it took off. CBS posted it, posted a, a video of it. So it all took off very quickly. Uh, I've had people just at the farm show a couple of weeks ago, and I had random people saying, hey, you're the piano guy. And they didn't know I'm a state representative. They don't know who I am. They just know I'm piano guy. So worst things to be known for. Yes, yes. Uh, so the, the, there are videos that uh, you're happy that go viral. Of course, uh, uh, that would be one. Um, so what, what's, uh, what surprised you the most uh, that you, as you've been uh, in Harrisburg for a bit and getting acclimated, um, were there things that you thought, okay, I think it's going to be this way, but it's turned out to be something different uh, than what you were expecting? It's definitely been a learning experience from just the, the, the perspective inside is very different than the perception outside. Uh, and I think, you know, we all know that to be true. Yeah. We know what happens inside. But I think it, it, it surprised me even a little bit more uh, how difficult it is to get something done. Mm. Um, and it's something that we frequently get asked, well, why doesn't the government yeah. just, and then, you know, yeah. fill in the blank. Why don't they just do this? Why don't they it's just so do that? It's so common sense, right? right? <laughs> it makes sense, right? And there's a lot, of, and as I'm in here, there are things that absolutely seem common sense. Um, hashtag Taxpayer Protection Act. Uh, <laughs> but it seems impossible to get them across the finish line for some reason or another. And I'm still definitely learning the internal dynamics there, uh, but just realizing how difficult it is to get something done. And that's not to say that's a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. I think the founding fathers realized that 99 times out of 100, the government trying to help just ends up making things worse. <laughs> so they tried to make it difficult to get things yeah. done. But that being said, getting the good things done is still a difficult thing. So learning learning that uh, that labyrinth of processes that it takes to be effective is, is something that I know I've got a ways to go on. Well, and that's part of that. Uh, as you said, it's a process and uh, a lot of relationships along the way, uh, as you've seen, I'm sure, that uh, relationships matter. And uh, one, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate the things you're passionate about. Uh, and I appreciate your coming on Brews and Views to get to know uh, you better. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette 
at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. 